You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com and be sure to share. The Second City is back open for live shows, classes, and customized corporate workshops and events. But we also have all those things available in virtual formats. For more information, go to secondcity.com. Second City is excited to work with Amazon as part of their new and exciting app called AMP. AMP is a home where anyone can create live radio-style shows alongside some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, including ours. Join the Second City live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central Time for our show, Second City Public Radio. SCPR is an interactive weekly lampoon of all things public radio. Each week, our host and an ever-expanding panel of Second City characters open up the lines to listeners from around the U.S. to ask questions and offer us opinions on a slew of wide-reaching subjects. Download the app, and don't forget to tune in. AMP. Thursdays at 5 p.m. Central Time. My guest today is Melissa Daimler, uh, who helps leaders design, operationalize, and scale their culture. Uh, She currently serves as the chief learning officer for Udemy, uh, where she develops learning strategies for both customers and employees. Uh, But she also worked for WeWork uh, and Twitter and Adobe. Um, She's got a new book. It's called Reculturing, Design Your Company Culture to Connect with strategy and purpose for lasting success. Enjoy the pod. The Second City is a world-famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance, and the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at The Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is Getting DS And. Days can be counted by the money you spend. Today was just another better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow's just another like the one that comes next. The corner of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss with the elegant watch. Melissa Daimler, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kelly. It's great to be here. There's a really profound realization you have after you left your job at WeWork. And I promise not to make this entire podcast about WeWork, even though I'm watching We Crashed and I'm obsessed. Thank you. Um, You write, (laughs) quote, the way we don't work is the missing piece to understanding what it takes to build a more connected culture. The way we don't tie in the strategy and our purpose to the values and ultimately the behaviors. This can lead to mis- interpretation of what we expect from each other and how we can work most effectively. The way we don't evolve or even express curiosity about our company practices as the company grows, end quote. And this kind of squarely tied into the work of Lighty Klotz we had recently on the podcast, wrote this great book called Subtract. And he offers this idea that we're almost always inclined to add as a way to solve problems when often we need to subtract. Does that mean anything to you? That resonates a lot. And, you know, I I do think that we tend to complicate things in uh, the corporate world. We we try to, if if people don't understand something, we try to then add another set of tools or another training or 
another interpretation rather than just getting clarity on what it is we're, we're trying to talk about. So um, I, I'll back up a little. I mean, I, I grew up in the Midwest, so mm -hmm. fellow Midwesterner, and uh, I, I talk about in the book that I sailed with my dad uh, yeah. most Saturdays and at the time did not realize, but uh, he taught me about this idea of connection. And mm. um, I, again, did not know it at the time, but, you know, what it is to be a systems thinker, you know, we would be sailing and, um, you know, I'd be looking at the wind and he'd said, okay, look at the sail and you have to, to look at the, the tiller and the, the crew and all of those things have to be looked at together. Um, and he got me uh, really clear on what I needed to focus on. So I, I say that because I think that has kind of been a um, huge input into how I've thought about work and the organizational system. And, and tying back to, to that quote, I think I, I've been frustrated throughout my career in, in how we do try to, um, you know, create a new business unit or create a new, like I said, a new tool instead of figuring out how do all of those things tie together? And if we're going to add something, um, let's be really clear about how that's complementing or um, uh, making something that we already have be better. Yeah, a real gift of the incredible upset of the last couple of years at a place like Second City. I mean, we we almost went bankrupt. We got sold um, and we lost a lot of great people. And this new group, there's very few old timers left. There's like me and my wife and a couple other people. That's about it. And one of the things that we realized is, oh, we have to go back. There was so much oral tradition. There were so much, uh, there's so many traditions that we were sort of like, are these meaningful and where do they come from? And so we've been doing this, what we're calling a second city self-study. We have been mm. going back to the beginning and sort of stating out, let's write out what it is we do, why we do it, where we think this has a purpose or meaning. And in so making a lot of discoveries, uh, both good and bad. Uh, but, but like a lot of businesses don't get that opportunity to do that or they're too big. Um, I mean, we're 60, like three years old and, and it would be very easy to rely on past success. But I, for, for myself, the biggest um, enemy to innovation is past success. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me, okay. I promised to get, get off WeWork, but I do want to know about your interview with Adam Newman. <laughs> yeah, please, really? please tell us about it. Really? Uh, and then, we'll, yeah, then we'll move I, right into culture. I mean, it's all in the book. Um, yeah, he didn't, uh, he wasn't wearing socks. He had, had, uh, or shoes, uh, bare feet. Bare feet. Um, and he asked some really interesting questions, <laughs> <laughs> not about the job. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I think, and you know, this is part of what I talk about in the book as well. I mean, I, and the stories are, are, as you said, they're fun to watch. I think, Adam was an interesting person. You know, I, I think he uh, is unfortunately similar to a lot of fast growing, successful startups. And uh, I, I think we have to be careful. And, you know, this is certainly a cautionary tale of, you know, not just counting on that, you know, kind of charismatic uh, figure in, in our system. And, because it is a system, we want to make sure that 
we have a strong leadership team around us who can push back and who can ask good questions and who can help make decisions that maybe he's never made before um, and bring him back to reality if, if, you know, we create mission statements like Elevate Consciousness. So um, I, I think while, again, that makes for a good story, there were really a lot of things that weren't going well. If you look at the total system, if you look at the leadership team, you know, who is very, uh, you know, still somewhat green, not as diverse as I think we would want, ideally, um, you know, you had a, a, a bunch of values on, you know, in cool neon lights on the wall, but no mm-hmm. connection to what those actually meant and what those looked like in the day to day of, of WeWork. That's right. Um, and so, you know, I think there were a lot of gaps between, you know, kind of who Adam was and, and, and what the business was all about. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting moment and, you know, I can look at it now as such a great learning opportunity Did not look at, look at it like that at the time, but, um, you know, having had such good experiences and interviews with amazing leaders at Twitter and Adobe with great cultures and, and, um, and a business strategy that was, that was always looking to, um, evolve while staying connected to its roots. Um, it was a nice contrast for me to understand what doesn't work when all of those, those pieces are connected. All right. So let's, let's talk about culture because that is a, uh, a, I don't want to say complicated word. It's, it's a misunderstood it <laughs> concept. Like, all right. So let's start with like, what is culture? Yeah. I mean, I culture, I mean, how I define it in my book, yep. reculturing is three things. It's behaviors, processes, and practices. It is a, an active word, you know, so I, I, I talk about that. It's not a noun. It's a verb. It's a continuous set of, of actions that that we take, um, and you know, it's it's more about how we work versus what's at work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so often we've gotten lazy. You know, we we've thought about culture as the um, you know the happy hour and the ping pong tables and the slides and the bean bags, and I, I think we've done ourselves ourselves a disservice in in thinking of it like that. And the pandemic just amplified how lazy we've become because a lot of us who knew that that wasn't how you define culture, when you had that kind of context and that was gone, what do we do now? You know, there there is no culture Um, versus I think culture is something that you can intentionally design. And it's, it's more about relationships than, than things. I think, too, you have a very, like, provocative statement uh, as well, where you say, quote, culture is happening right now, whether by design or by default. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, it's there. Like, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you can ignore it, and you have, you yeah. know, that's, that's going to show itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then some places have great culture, and, and it's, it's a default, maybe for other reasons, or they're small enough or whatever. But it's like, it is going on. It has muscles. It's active. And I think it falls into this like same category of like, what is the new word for soft skills? So everyone can wake, everyone can wake up and realize those are yeah. the hardest skills of all. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of this, and I think this happens with a lot of people who eventually write a book, you know, it was, it was out of my own frustration that yeah. I couldn't find any research paper or article or book um, 
that gave me more of a kind of practitioner experience of, of not only what culture is, but how do you design it? How does it, what does it look like when you're actually operationalizing culture? And I didn't know this, but in the, in researching my book, you know, the, the concept has been around for over 70 years, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, we've had so many definitions around culture is the personality and culture is the, you know, it's what happens when the boss leaves the room or it's, you know, my favorite was I was on a webinar um, last year and um, it was a, it was a professor who um, taught organizational development. And he said, you know, culture is like leaves on a tree. And it just, I, I, I I so struggled with that. And I saw the disconnect between, you know, kind of how we were defining culture and this huge opportunity for us to leverage what I thought more of what culture is. Um, and also we put so much work into things like um, our feedback process and our interview process and our performance management. And so many leaders uh, came to me over the course of my career and said, why is this so hard? You know, it takes so much time. And I think it's because we haven't taken the time to define that playbook. We haven't even defined what good looks like at this company. So of course it's hard to give feedback because I don't even know what I'm giving feedback on. So if we're, if we're clear about what not just our values are, but what the behaviors are, and that's embedded into our feedback process, it is so much easier for me to give you feedback on that particular um, behavior. Yeah, we get brought in, Second City gets hired a lot to come into companies uh, to teach, and I'm putting air quotes, uh, creativity and innovation. And, and first of all, those are two different things. Um, yeah. and, and one of the things that we talk about with creativity is it's inherently messy and it requires failure. Um, and there's not spaces in a lot of companies for that, but you do not get innovation without creativity. You can you can have creativity without innovation, but not, not the other way. And also the other thing about you want people to be creative. They need, they need some uh, constraints and that's yes. also weird for people. And you actually write in the book, quote, the need for people to want freedom and constraints. People want guardrails and the tools to manage that tension, not more barriers that create bureaucracy. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. at the heart of that idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, this came up when I was working at Twitter quite a bit and we were looking at how do we take our values and um, translate them into more specific behaviors and then ultimately skills. And I remember one of the things that we were struggling with, which is, which is often um, something that companies struggle with is decision-making, you know, Mm -hmm. as you continue to grow, every decision can't go up to the CEO anymore or, or even, you know, the senior most person uh, of the team. And so, you know, we had to really define what is our decision framework? You know, what are the roles of, of people in a decision? And there was a particular learning experience that we had where um, we had managers and their directs in the same room. We were in the same room at the time. And, I remember a manager saying, you know, I just want to empower my team. And I just, you know, I, I want to, I want, um, I don't want to give a point of view and I want them to be able to, to think for themselves. And our, the um, direct report of his had, uh, said, you know, that's so great. I appreciate that. And sometimes I just want a decision. I just want you to tell me kind of what the next step is. 
Um, and so it was, it was so clear. That was such a good example to me of you can create almost more freedom with somebody when you've defined what those guardrails are. And in fact, you know, we heard stories after that, like, oh my gosh, now that we understand kind of how we're making decisions and kind of who's doing what, I feel so much better. I don't even have to be the decision maker because I understand how I'm contributing to that decision. So I think, you know, the best way to empower people is to to give them kind of the the playbook and help them understand where we're coming from and and you know what's going to work and what isn't and then you know you do your thing it's it's radical because the the what we're talking about <laughs> naming it um right what what is it what is it the thing that we're talking about this idea around behavior is like i have i mean i've basically only worked at second city my adult life but i've connected with lots of different companies and, 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 and I don't, I don't know of a company playbook that talks about the behaviors that they expect their employees. Netflix. That's where I first learned about it. Where? Netflix. Netflix. Oh, with Patty McCord. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I was first inspired by this idea when I, I looked at the culture deck, you know, um, and Patty, I interviewed for the book and, you know, it's interesting because she reminds me, and this goes back to culture being kind of an ongoing thing. She's like that deck took 10 years and it's still being reviewed. Yeah. And, you know, so they did a, um, a nice job of kind of saying, Hey, when we think about communication, we're not just thinking, let's, let's go deeper on what that actually means. You know, I think one of their behaviors is, um, uh, we respect each other. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, communication can mean so many different things in different companies. And I think now they have, it's a lot, but they have as many as 48 different behaviors because they've, they've added to it. But that was my first inspiration. And I think more and more companies are starting to, to realize that um, that actually makes more sense to, to more clearly define what your values are. Yeah, I, I got to hang out with Patty backstage at the code conference, my, my wife and I were presenting there. And it's interesting because you've worked with these tech companies and I'll say through, well, st- starting a few years back, cause I was booked a lot with the, with at Twitter and, and code on uh, the lobby. Uh, but then also during the pandemic, like so much work came to our way from Silicon Valley and mm. the work was all, we don't know how to talk to each other. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we're working with, you know what? There's five different generations in the workplace. Yeah. There's there's a generation coming up that you know is potentially a couple of generations that might be very yeah. ill-equipped based on certain parenting styles. Yes. That were maybe not the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I have a 24, 24 year old son who's thrive actually thrive. He wants to be an actor, and there's not a lot of acting, games, so he's thriving in his his uh, job job. And I swear it's because the guy knows how to tell a story. Oh wow. That's not he, knows a surprise. To, he knows how to tell his story. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is such a, an important quality because we know the future of work is going to be so dependent on human mm-hmm. uh, attributes because everything else is going to be farmed out to AI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, and that's such a good point too. I mean, I, I, you know, again, like going back to this theme of connection, I think one of the other things I got frustrated by is the onus is on the organization to then help employees develop those skills to yeah. exemplify those behaviors. That's so right. if you're saying, you know, let's say 
uh, you know, we have a value here um, at Udemy, always learning. And in one of the things that we talk about a lot behaviorally is, um, you know, ask good questions. Mm-hmm. And so if, if that's one of the behaviors, then what are we doing to develop people on that? Like our, so we should then map some of our learning experiences to giving people time to practice asking good questions. And yeah. Um, And it's so ridiculous because I know, I know there's like, and I bring this up on the podcast all the time. It's like major league baseball players practice playing catch before a game. Yo-Yo Ma does scales, but there's millions, if not billions of dollars on the line in corporate America and no one practices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think that the 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 point in organizations is, and and we and we do this a lot here as well is um, context. I think context yeah. really matters, and sure. you know, so often I remember at Adobe um, we had a lot of leaders who we sent to Harvard, or you know, they had the two week mm-hmm. courses or Stanford, all good stuff. But then you come back into the organization within the context of what we're dealing with and the behaviors and skills that we expect you to be delivering on, not so far off than what you learned, but um, would have been better if we had created a, a learning experience in which you could practice the actual behaviors and skills yeah. we reinforce and reward at the company. So again, all of that connection, I think, makes the experience more meaningful. I, as an employee, will feel much more fulfilled and feel and um, set up for success if I also know that the time I'm spending developing myself, learning these skills, also maps to my potential promotion, you know, and the way I get recognized yeah. and, um, you know, how uh, the feedback I'm going to get. So I, I, I think there's a, a very um, uh, strong tie to uh, skill and learning development here as well. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I love that you know about design thinking, but it really mm-hmm. won't matter if you don't know how to listen to someone else. <laughs> exactly. So yes, for like, sure. Like, uh, yeah. Scrum master, get it. I like agile, uh, but you don't know how to uh, talk to a group of people, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um mm-hmm. When I was very, when I was very young, uh, my architect brother gave me a book by Buckminster Fuller, um, mm. and no idea he invented the trim tab. I didn't either until I wrote the book. So now you're gonna have to explain <laughs> what a trim tab is. <laughs> the trim tab is, I mean, he it's a it's like a six inch piece on the bottom of the the rudder to help a ship steer. Um, and turn. Mm -hmm. So he created this because so many ships weren't able to move fast enough and and turn fast enough, I think during World War II. Um, And even as you revved the engine, it it wouldn't go. And so Mm -hmm. this tiny little kind of tab at the bottom helped steer faster um, Mm -hmm. toward where they wanted to go. And so I use that as a as an analogy to you know how we think about um, processes in an organization, um, because so often when you hear the I, the term processes, you think bureaucracy or um, you know complexity. And my point is, how do you leverage uh, processes 
to your benefit to help you move forward faster. So if we leverage the behaviors that we've already defined and integrated them into our hiring process, our feedback process, our our, um, recognition process, all of that becomes easier. And again, we can go faster. When I, when I thought about that, I am not a systems thinker. I'm married to one. Um, and so I have the benefit of her brain. Uh, uh, but, but, I can, but I can often spot the moments. And I remember we had Michael Slaby on the podcast a couple of times. And Michael was the chief technology officer in the first Obama campaign. So, oh, you know, wow. Very, yeah, very impressive. Um, and, and talking about what, what he learned in, in that regard. And one of them, uh, one of the lessons they learned there was, when you're ideating, let's say communication strategies, if you don't have tech in the room at the very first meeting, you've made a mistake. And mm-hmm. I just think back, like no one has tech in the room. No one does at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and it's mm-hmm. not just communication strategies. At this point, it's almost anything you do because you're so mm-hmm. reliant on these, uh, on technical matters, whether it's at, at yeah. Second City, it's like, we didn't have computers when we first opened. And now we're completely reliant on this website to sell our tickets. Mm, wow. Wow. And, and, and I, they're probably still not, no, I know they're not in the room right now, uh, but that yeah. would be an example. That would be a trim trap example in terms of, yeah. like, oh, who are the entities that would be touched by this? Would it affect, let's say the creative work on stage? Oh, let's make sure we have creative in there. And it's not that you want to have meetings with 50 people, but you recognize in the process of decision-making at a certain point, you really need to like vet this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting That that ties back to, you know, looking at your strategy and then your organizational design, right? right. Um, You know, our our CTO here, it's interesting. We work together at Adobe as well. He has what he calls pods, you know, so he has kind of product design and engineering on, you know, major work streams, which I think is brilliant, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and to your point, you're at the very beginning looking at what needs to get done from each of those lenses, from each of those perspectives. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, one team is figuring out the strategy and then go execute. We're all designing it from our various uh, uh, um, points of of expertise. Um, I tend to steal little concepts or stories from my guests to add into the things I talk about when I get hired places or go on podcasts. It's a great, it's a great thing. Um, <laughs> everybody steals from everybody else. It's they do. It's the only uh, and, way. And it's, and it's a good thing. I, I want people yeah. to like this. Yeah. It's like, totally. Hey, yeah. yeah. Uh, talk to us about the pot roast principle. Oh yes. Okay. I love I, this. I, I, <laughs> so um, this was an example of just organizational practices um, and how, as we evolve, I think our practices need to evolve as well. And I gave an example of, um, you know, again, I, I grew up in the, the Midwest and I, I still have uh, PTSD from how cold it was in the, in the winter. Um, <laughs> and, you know, every Thanksgiving, you know, I would be hanging out in, in the kitchen. We had a little galley kitchen And I would, you know, my mom thinks it was because I loved helping her cooking, but it was the warmest place uh, in the house. house. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I always remember after she took the turkey out, she always would leave the the oven door open. And, um, you know, that was just how it was. And, you know, fast forward many years later, when I was 
making my first turkey in Palo Alto, California. Um, it was like 80 degrees out. I, you know, had mom on the phone and she was kind of walking me through it and turkey was done, pulled it out, left the oven door open. And my husband comes in, you know, just closes it and I open it back up and, and, uh, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, this is, that's what my mom always did, uh, when we made a turkey and we started laughing and I realized like, oh my gosh, like, of course, because it was freezing in Wisconsin, she left the oven door open and California, it was already 80 degrees outside. So the point was that, you know, we just pick up on these habits over time and we see things, we, um, we hear things It's like the telephone game in a way. And, and, um, we, we do them ourselves without questioning, like, does this still make sense in this context? And so, you know, even tying back to an organization, um, and I think I, I highlight WeWork and the idea of summer camp, when, when you are 20 people in the backyard, that's great. Love it. Mm-hmm. Like that's people, summer camp all, all the way. But when you're 5,000 and you're asking people to sleep in teepees um, with their colleagues for three nights, that's a little more daunting and challenging. And so the question is, how do you create practices and continue to evolve them to still leverage kind of the essence of what that's all about, you know, being together, being communal, and understanding kind of the the context you're in that, you know, it's now so many people, can we think differently about this practice? And we should probably note the reason it's called the pot roast principle was another story. Oh, you tell, right. Which, which is, um, was that a personal story or did you get that from someone? No, this is the related to this other story I'd heard, you know, I think a lot of people have heard this where, um, uh, this, this, I think she was the granddaughter and, and also questioning, mm-hmm. um, uh, why the pot roast was cut. They, they cut the pot. The family always cut the pot roast on, on, on either end of the, um, of, of the roast. And uh, she finally asked the question of her grandmother, you know, why are we doing this? You know, why do you cut both ends off? And she's like, oh, because the oven was too small um, for it to fit. And so again, it's it, even though they had an oven that would fit with, you know, without cutting each end, um, they continue to do it because that's how it's always been done. And yeah. so, yeah, that's, it's a, it's oh, a fun I, story. It's, it's funny. We've had so many of those moments at Second City over time. So I've been there 30, 33 years. That's amazing. Uh, and yeah, but I mean, but the mythology, so the, the founders were still alive when I was there and the, and, and the myths that, that exist, which are mm-hmm. many of them are very wonderful and you need those stories. And some of them are just untrue. Um, and it was this, we had a, um, uh, a professor come in and, and I helped him out. I, I let him interview me for an extensive piece. And he goes, Hey, uh, is there any, like I would do free consulting for you. And we were trying to decide about raising ticket prices. And he's like, okay, um, I could do analysis for you. And so he interviewed the owner of the company and myself. And we're like, all right, so we basically have like one or two ticket prices. That's we always, made, we always try to keep mm-hmm. it close to movie theaters. And you know, we have more, unlike other theaters of more blue collar, you know, audience, he just destroyed us. Like three weeks later, he's like, you have 18 different ticket prices and here's what, where they all are. <laughs> oh you are in the yeah. 60614 uh, area code, which is the Gold Coast of, of, of Chicago, Old Town, right next to the Gold Coast. It's like, you do not have a blue collar audience. 
and your your tickets are way under what you would actually get for them. And by the way, there are second tier, third tier, or other people selling your tickets at $100 when you're selling them at like 12 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a great example of like, oh my God, we just like, we, 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 we didn't know because we bought into the great story. Um, and I think that this is why I said earlier that, you know, success is a real um, tough thing to get over when you want to be innovative because- right you know, you don't know, you, you stop seeing and it becomes very hard to put n- new eyes on things. So yeah. you either have, you have to either create an environment where people are going to speak truth to power and not feel that they're, they're frightened, or you have to create habits in yourself that are going to get, get you out of your pattern making. Mm-hmm. That's hard. It is so hard. It, it is very hard. Yeah. And I, that's why I think it's, um, I, I'm trying to get us out of the habit of, of looking at culture as this static thing, you know, I mean, I, it's, and, you know, if we look at, I think we would be crazy if we, we just talked about strategy, like, you know, focused on the customer without kind of getting more specific on, on what that actually means and reviewing that every quarter and figuring out, you know, what changed, what's new, not that we have to review culture every quarter, but um, I, I do think that, as, as we grow, it's, it's good. I mean, some of the ways that uh, we were working aren't going to work anymore. And, and we need to think about different ways of, of how to work effectively. All right. In a moment, I'm going to ask you for a yes and story, but before we do that, um, we, one of the things we get hired for, cause we're a theater company is storytelling to, to teach different people. Mm-hmm. And often our approach is all right. Before we get to the storytelling, let's talk about the storyteller um, because until you know, what your sort of authentic voice is. It, it doesn't matter what, what the story is. And it doesn't, you don't need charisma. My friend Sunil Gupta is like, conviction is way more important than charisma. And you said mm. in the book that you have struggled with storytelling over, over time, which is sort of surprises me based on the very good storytelling in this book. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it is a lot of improv. I mean, I, I think at some level, right? I mean, yeah, I also sure. I also do know that good storytellers have, you know, mapped things out and kind of know what at least what they want to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I really value authenticity and making sure, you know, what I'm sharing is real. And I guess I've had some experience with, um, you know, storytellers who it wasn't as authentic as I, as I think I I wanted it to be. And I didn't really feel a connection. So I, I I have a high bar for, for storytelling and making sure that, you know, for me, a good story is um, I, I really feel a a connection, you know, to, to that person telling the story. So. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, uh, my wife, Anne and Sunil Gupta uh, collaborated on a class that's actually at Northwestern right now uh, based on his book, Backable. Um, and a lot of that is with these entrepreneurs who are coming in is teaching them how it's like how to pitch, but it's, but it's, it's the step before that, which is then mm-hmm. how are you going to tell the story of this? And often that story starts with a struggle. And I think people oh, sometimes yeah. don't want, this is the thing. If you're going to be authentic, you better get used to talking about your failures. Totally. Yeah. That, and people want that, like the mm-hmm. thing I say all the time, which is like, no one cares about your success story. I want your fiasco. That is what mm-hmm. I am interested in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and it's interesting because, um, 
you know, even in writing the book, there were moments where people said, you know, I, I, I did not want this to be a book about WeWork, but yeah. some people said, you know, don't even, you know, mention it, like mention it for two lines. It's like, well, but oh, no. that actually, that really was an impetus for me to, it, it was a, it was a dark time, you know, post, yeah. post WeWork. And it was such a huge learning opportunity for me, you know, going full circle to where we started this conversation that mm-hmm. I think it would be a miss if I, if I didn't share um, how disappointing that was for me and the the lessons I got from it. Um, so I agree with you. I think, you know, you can learn a lot from success too. I think sometimes we, we, we go too much on the side of like fail fast. And, and really, I think right, what we're trying right. to say is learn fast Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do balance that even with my own team. Like we've had a ton of success this week or, you know, in the last month, like let's celebrate that too. Yep. And yes, you can learn so much if you take the time to reflect on what just happened in, in that failure. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 I think storytelling is such a, an art that it, it's something that, I think all of us at some level are always going to continue to improve. Well, and I think just what we know from psychologically, right. Is, is this idea of, I mean, you're, everyone is going to go through trials and tribulations, Mm -hmm. traumas, grief, all those things. And the things that are going to allow us to navigate are how we tell that story, both Mm -hmm. internally and externally and our relationships. Yes. Um, and the fact is that is just true in life and life includes work, but it is not work mm-hmm. exclusively. And mm-hmm. one of the things I just don't, I've never understood is, you know, this, this idea of somehow the minute you walk into a, a, a business, uh, your, your capacity for understanding the human condition is no longer important. It's like, no, mm-hmm. take yeah. the philosophy, take the psychology, take the mm-hmm. sociology and map that. And also just know that like, we're a bunch of imperfect humans who are wired to be on the savanna, not chasing the bus. And that means we're going to be sticking our toe in it time and time and time again. So there's a certain amount of grace and curiosity and all that, which are the things that I, which is are the things that I think great leaders have. I totally agree. It's so funny. I, I I think work is the best learning lab out there. I I just think, you know, it talk about, you know, understanding your triggers and, (laughs) And your, your opportunities to, um, you know, uh, be more effective at everything from like, um, how to, how to do presentations and run a meeting to how to listen and, um, you know, uh, be empathetic to somebody who it's, it may be a little harder to be empathetic to, uh, but every day, if you're open to it and curious enough. I think work is, is just ripe with opportunities yeah. and, and lessons. Yeah. yeah. There, there's, there's magic there. There's, there's all that. All right. We yeah. always end the podcast by asking our guests for a yes and story. So in the parlance of improvisation, you get nowhere by saying no. And you actually don't get that far by saying yes. We say you have to say yes. And you have to affirm and contribute in order to explore and heighten. Um, I think you probably have a bunch of yes and stories for us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but give us one. I, I think the biggest one is a theme throughout my entire career. I don't think there is one job that I have taken where it's been exactly what the job description has said. So I've always gone into to mm. interviews, talking to the hiring manager saying, 
well, yes. And what about this? <laughs> right. Or yes. And I think I should port, report directly to you or yes. And I think we need to start a function over here. Um, and so I, and I remind, you know, a lot of the, the younger generation uh, that I now have the um, privilege to, to mentor that you can co-create your job description. It does not yeah. have to be exactly um, if you don't have exactly what that says, it doesn't mean that you're not qualified. Maybe, maybe they don't know what they don't know in terms of, of what could be possible. So I think I've yes. And my entire career. <laughs> I think so too. Uh, the book is called reculturing design your company culture to connect with strategy and purpose for lasting success. Melissa Daimler. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Getting the Yes And podcast is produced by The Second City and WGN Radio. We are supported at The Second City by Mike Farinaccio and Colleen Fahey. Our show is produced by Andrew Harris at WGN. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of the podcast is by Jukebox the Ghost. If you're interested in knowing more about The Second City, you can log on to secondcity.com or email us at works at secondcity.com. Survive.